Hello, and welcome to a special Dream Lab series of the Price Lab podcast. I am delighted to speak with Dot Porter, the curator of digital research services at the University of Pennsylvania, about her Dream Lab course, Digital Surrogates. So, Dot, I was wondering if I could get you to sort of tell us a little bit about what a curator of digital research services does. What do I do? I am a curator in the special collections department, unlike the other curators in the department who have physical collections. My responsibility is for digital objects. There's a whole team of people who do things like digitize the manuscripts that we have in our collection and then put them online. And then my responsibility, on one hand, sort of help with that digitization process. But then once the materials are up, there's this question of what can we do with them? And that's the, the sort of curatorial role that is sort of analogous to another curator creating exhibitions, which I actually also do. I'm wondering if you can tell me what made you want to teach this particular course? I went to graduate school and all I knew was that like I liked the Middle Ages. So it was like, I'm gonna see what else I can learn about the Middle Ages. I ended up taking a few classes on codicology and paleography, paleography being the study of medieval handwriting specifically, and codicology being the study of the book as a physical object. I worked for a couple of years in the special collections department. And so when I graduated, I was like, I wanna to go to library school. I want to be a rare books librarian or a, you know, a manuscript curator or something like that. I wanted to work in special collections. But when I went to library school, I got turned on to the digital stuff. I came out of that working in digital humanities. So my first two years, I was working on what we used to call image-based electronic editions, which are now just, you know, your digital editions that have images in them. So I saw lots and lots of digital images of manuscripts over the years. There was a manuscript that I'd been looking at online, MS Codex 1058. It's from France and it's a gloss psalter from about early 12th century. And the way that a gloss psalter works is you have the sort of main text, the psalter text written in the center of the page, and then you have glosses written along the margins. I looked at this a lot in sort of the, I don't know, the couple of months before I came in at Penn. I remember one of the very first things that I did when I came in, I sat down in the reading room and they brought it out and it was tiny. It's like as big as my hand, like I can hold it in my hand. I was just fascinated by this. I had no idea that it was so tiny because the writing is so tiny, right? So you go online and you just like, oh, it's got little writing, but then you see it on the page and you're like, God, that's really, it's like really tiny. And I was like, what is this? It's so different. If you hear people talk about working with manuscripts online, they're like, I saw the manuscript and it's like, you didn't actually, you know, you saw pictures of it in an interface that gives you specific information. So even if you see the same images through different interfaces, it's going to be a different experience depending on what the interface does. And I sort of knew that people didn't understand what digitization does to how we perceive the physical objects. So I make video orientations, which is basically like two to three minute videos where I or occasionally other curators introduce a manuscript. 
part of what gets lost when you digitize something in sort of what you call a traditional way, like flat, you know, flat photography, is you lose the physicality of the thing. And so with videos, you can really see how big a manuscript is, and you can see how far can the book open, and what is it like when the pages turn. So there's still a sort of mediation, but it's a much different experience than if you go to Pen in Hand, which is our online page-turning software, and you look at the same manuscript, it's going to look very, very different. All of this is what this class is about. It's about, let's think about how the digitization process and how we present in interfaces influences, you know, the way these things appear. The whole question of provenance, we talk about that a lot in the class as well. We go to the museum and we go through the Egypt section. You read the labels and it's like, where did these things actually come from? How did they get here? So there's this whole history of colonialism. Every couple of years, something in our collection is repatriated. And we're really quiet about it, and I kind of wish that we weren't quiet about it, because I think this is something that happens a lot. And we should, you know, have this conversation that, like, yeah, we're colonial powers, and so we stole stuff. Digital collections of archival material is probably the oldest genre of digital humanities. Digitizing books was my first DH gig back in 2003, and some of those collections go back to the mid-90s. What have been some of the most dramatic changes you've seen over the past 20 years? The biggest change that I've seen is just the scale of it. So there's this project called Digital Scriptorium, and I have to look it up. Article in Wikipedia. They're on Wikipedia. So 1997 was when Digital Scriptorium was founded. It was designed in such a way that libraries could put selected digital images from their collections into this database and then they could be searched and found. It was for selections and not for complete manuscripts. In 1997, if you had suggested a big database full of completely digitized manuscripts, I, there was just no way that it was going to happen because it was so expensive, right? And the thing that's changed is storage is a lot cheaper. When I was at the University of Kentucky, which I left in 2008, so this would have been in like 2006 or 2007, but my colleagues in the library were so excited because they finally got one terabyte of storage. So storage costs, the costs of the equipment, everything has sort of led us down this path where full digitization is, you know, what we do. And that's very exciting, but like even as I say that, there are still lots of collections all over the world that aren't getting digitized because of funding inequalities. What would you like for your students to take away from the course? Part of what we do in the class is we, we look at some different tools like Scalar and Omeka for creating exhibitions or projects. And we talk about what each one of them is for, because I think there's a tendency that you learn one thing and then 
that's the thing you know and it's the thing that you use because it's the thing that you know. If students can come out with an understanding of sometimes it helps to learn a new tool because the thing that you know isn't actually the thing that's going to do what you need it to do. And then we talk about technology and so coming out with some understanding of the current technologies for digitization and critical thinking skills in terms of if you look at the digital object and you understand how it was made, it can help you understand what the object actually looks like. I'd like them to come away with an understanding of how the digital materials are created, the amount of labor involved in doing that, especially for faculty and graduate students, for them to understand where the things come from that they're working with, the digital and the physical, where they come from, the amount of labor involved, and then they can take that knowledge out. So when they're teaching classes, their students just don't think, oh, it's like magic. You know, it appears magically on the screen. And it's like, it's not magic. There's a lot of work and technology. And you need to understand that. It's important for you to understand that. This special Dream Lab series of the Price Lab podcast was produced by Sarah Malinsky, Program Manager of the Price Lab, with additional editing and production by Penn Senior Kia Da Silva and students from the Narrative and Listening in the Digital Age class at Penn, including Emmett Foley, Alexis Messino, and Kelsey Gibbons. We also want to thank Julie Beth Napolin and Clay Coleman for their expert advice, as well as all the Dream Lab instructors who were so generous with their time. This podcast was made possible with support from the Andrew W. Mellon Foundation.